Thank you for taking the time to listen. Church Hurt is real. We would like to hear your story to help others who have been abused in church. Only when we speak up can we begin to heal from the pain. Please send your story confidentially to the email witminyahoo.com. Welcome to the Walk in Truth Christian Fellowship Church broadcast on the WITRN Network. Come join us as we study the Word of God together. Go get your Bible and let's see what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. All right. We in Luke chapter 5. We in Luke chapter 5. And what we're doing is trying to figure out. Um, we've been talking about, in uh, church on Sunday, we were talking about the man with the withered hand and how that was the beginning of a new thing. You know, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says that, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Can you not perceive it? I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in your desert. God <coughs> is now with Jesus Christ coming on the scene, is about to do a new thing. And the new thing is actually getting away from um, Judaism. He's doing a new thing to save the people because what he required of the Israelites, uh, they fell short. So the king has come. But the only problem is they have steeped themselves in a religion that is very zealous towards form, fashion, and protocol versus a religion that's really for the people. The Pharisees were developed out of a good understanding at first, but it then got corrupted because men always corrupts what God has. A well-intentioned man will eventually corrupt what God has because eventually becomes about them and not about the God they serve. But they believe in their hearts. I mean, they actually believe in their heart of hearts. They are doing the right thing by being the um, uh, the gatekeepers for the nation of Israel and Judaism. Okay? So we have this situation where Luke gives us, and it's in Mark chapter, uh, I mean, Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 2. We see the same uh, scenario in the Synoptic Gospels of this man having a withered hand. And again, I want you to remember this. Jesus came to give us the gospel, and the gospel cannot be um, 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 infiltrated or the gospel cannot be added to by other religions. What we see in today's time is the same thing about that time. They want to mix the gospel with something. But the minute you mix the gospel with something, the gospel becomes ineffective. You want to mix gospel with Buddhism. You want to mix gospel with with uh, uh, Roman Catholicism. You want to mix the gospel with Hinduism. And you eventually get universalism where everybody's, you know, some things that are like Oprah says, everybody's going to end up at the same place, but they're going to come from different directions. But that's not true. That's not what the gospel preaches. The gospel is so exclusive, there's only one way, and that's through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not many ways, it's one way. And because we're in a compromising uh, uh, state in America where we affirm everybody's belief, we have to be strong and stand on what we pose to know, okay? 
We can't sit here and affirm everybody. We, and half the time we affirm stuff that God says is an abomination. But to get along, to go along, we say, oh, okay, it's all right. And it's not all right. All right. And then it sets up the, again, in religion, religious, religion in America, religion in African-American church and, and churches period in America, it's an American gospel that's about greed that we were talking about earlier. It's about fame. It's about fortune. But it's not about salvation of people and for everyone. Everybody got their own corner that they go to. Everybody got their own ways, their rites, their rituals, their protocols. And their protocols have nothing to do with God. So we're going to start again in uh, 5. Uh, free to start it. Read 20 and 21. And this is after... Uh, he's told the man that he's going to tell the man that there's that his sins, he's told the man that his sins have, have been forgiven. And then they get upset. Just, man, just start at 17 again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, Jesus sees their faith, the effort that these men have put forth to put their friend before Jesus, the one that they had heard about. We know that in chapter 4, and, and, and when he healed the leper, that it says once the leper left, everybody started coming to Jesus. We know in chapter 4 that there was a time where everybody came to Jesus who could come and they were healed of their diseases. They were healed of demons. They were healed of any infirmity. And then we know that as Jesus walked amongst them, people will come and the power of healing will go out from him. Now, these are all verifications of the power of God has arrived. I, what we read in, uh, what is Jesus doing? What, out, of, out of the Old Testament, what is he doing? What scripture? Isaiah 61.1. See, Isaiah 61.1. That prophecy is being fulfilled in their hearing. He said that, right? Mm -hmm. He said, he rolled up the scroll and said, the prophecy of Isaiah 61 is being fulfilled and is fulfilled in your hearing. Mm -hmm. Again, that causes a disruption because Jesus didn't fit what they thought. And of course, it was a good day for them. They said, okay, that's great. So when can we get, uh, be healed? When can we be delivered from the Roman tyranny? But that's not why he came. And that's why he used the example of the uh, the woman at Zarephath and the leper. Okay? Amen, the leper. Because he wanted to show that Israel's rejection brought about salvation to the Gentiles. And that in the day of the famine, that there were many widows and lepers during that time. And the prophet of God, Elijah, Elijah was sent to them and not to the nation of Israel who was rebellious. And just like it does now, they became jealous and they became angry at Jesus and they were the first ones that wanted to kill Jesus. He had just preached and they were astonished and they were amazed by his word. But when their word turned on them, 
they was ready to get rid of him. Oh, yes. Okay? And that's what normally happens in today's churches. When that word turns on us, we ready now to, 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 tell, to run the preacher out of town. But as long as he's preaching it to our heartfelt wants and, wants and tells us what we want to hear, we're fine with him. But the minute that it's time to get correction, it, it, you, you, you put a deaf ear to that because you don't believe you need correction. And the Pharisees believe they didn't need correction. So he says something that's bold. He's never said this before. He's doing a new thing. The new thing is your sins are forgiven. Your faith has a has your faith to me makes your sins forgiven. I forgive you. And the Pharisees said the right thing. Read the next verse. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Mm-hmm. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? So now he, he questions them. He says, He understands what's in their heart. And I don't think they really said it out loud, but they probably said it amongst themselves. And remember the setup. They're sitting up front. They can't get into church with the man. Man is Lord. He says, your sins are forgiven you. And they began to question their heart. Who is this that commits blasphemy? And then who is this that has forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And again, like I told you Sunday, that was the truth. Instead of a question, it should have been a statement to tell them, this must be God who forgives sins, the one who has been prophesied. But they could not see it. They had the right theology, but the theology was in a in form of a question and not, and not a uh, statement. All right? So we have the first confrontation, and it's not so much as an overt one. It's, it's in their hearts. Because if you read uh, uh, Matthew 9 and Mark 2, you see that in one of them it says, that he knew what was in their hearts. So he responded to them, okay? And he says, if your sins are forgiven you, right? Now we have we have their response, okay? Keep reading. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and go home. So he says to him, so that he tells the Pharisees, so that you may know. So he's really talking to them, but the whole rest of the crowd hear him, so that you may know, everyone that's listening, that the Son of Man has this power to forgive sins, the authority to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk and go home. Okay? Now, he said it's easier to say. He didn't repeat himself as far as forgiving sins. Because he hadn't told the man to take up his bed and walk. And what we always we always know that that when Jesus said, forgive your sins, we know that since he's God, he doesn't need to repeat himself again. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting, you guys. We can see the affirmity, the affliction he was in, which was paralyzation. But we didn't know at the time that his paralyzation was due to a sin. And there's sometimes some things that we go through in the body is due to the sin that we have done. Not the sin from Adam, but the sin that we do. And obviously this man's sin had something to do with his paralyzation. So he told him, your sins are forgiven. Take up your bed and walk and go home. 
Okay. But again, we can't see sins in people. Now we can see the manifestation of the fruit of sin, but we can't see a sin in person. And we can't see when somebody's sin is forgiven. And that's another problem with the church. We think because somebody's doing something that we know is against what God has freed us from, that they must not be in the body of Christ. Well, God told us about the man's heart is desperately weak, wicked. And he also told us that he would give us a new heart. Sanctification is about the newness of God making conforming you into his image. But you can only be conformed into his image at, a, at, a, at, at, at any pace with a renewed mind. Well, renewed mind takes time, doesn't it? It doesn't happen overnight that your mind has been renewed. Because your mind has been messed up for so long, but your sin has been forgiven. Now that you are a new creature, you have to learn how to walk again in the newness of the creature that you become. You have to learn how to walk in the power of the resurrection. It doesn't come naturally because the walk is supernatural. If we are born in sin and shaped in iniquity, we walk in sin that we're shaped in. And now you become a new creature and, and the sin is not gone. Okay. He has imputed righteousness to you by believing in him. So the sin is not gone. But it can't be defeated because he defeated it on the cross. Okay. We know that now, but at this time, there was no cross yet. There was no death yet. There was no atonement yet. But the king was here and he didn't need to atone because he was the king. I'm going to forgive sins. I'm here to forgive sins. I'm here to set at liberty those captives. I'm here for the blind to see. He was here to do that. And what he wanted to do, like I told you, pay attention. He did that to people, but his focus was trying to get the leadership, the self-righteous leadership, to accept and realize that the person that they taught on, the person that they talked about the coming of Christ who they're protecting Judaism for is now here. But the only issue is he's not here to establish Judaism. He's here to fulfill Judaism and do something new, which is the gospel of Christ, which is the grace gospel. But, the, but again, I can understand we get so steeped in what we want to do in our own churches that in protocol and all this, that we miss it. And in today's churches, we spend more time being, being social organization versus organizations that bring people to Christ. We think because we got bouncy houses and restaurants and coffee, things inside of church, that's all, and, you know, and being in the church circle myself, I hear about people brag upon all the things that the world has inside the church. And most people can't even remember what the pastor said the last week because they're too busy sitting in the coffee house drinking a latte enjoying the, the secular stuff. Now, do I see necessarily anything wrong with that? No. But when that becomes the focus of the reason why you go to this particular church, then something's wrong. Because that's not what church is for. That's not what the gathering is for. You can go to Starbucks on your own. You can take the sisters or the brothers to Starbucks. But when your protocol becomes like the world, how do we know it's separate from the world. When so many churches are looking at the world and saying, to attract the world, we need to be like the world. That is not what scripture teaches us. So Jesus is, is attacking the religious system at the time. All right? Go ahead. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, 
glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Mm -hmm. So they now they, they're saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. So what did they actually see? They actually saw a man who was lame get up and walk, who was paralyzed. What they saw was three other men, four men, faithful enough and wanted their friend to get to God. What they saw was a man say, your sins are forgiven. But instead of rejoicing in the miracle of the man, all the best they can do is say, oh, we've seen some astonishing things today. See, that's how religious piety works. See, you can't rejoice because you got to keep your you got to keep yourself looking good. See, they, they became at this point, they want to accept him because the miracles are being done. They can't deny the miracle. But he's a bigger threat than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Tarzan in the soup talking about repent. So John the Baptist didn't look, even though his message was right, they can say, look at him, he crazy. But Jesus looks like them. Jesus is standing in the synagogue talking with all power. And Jesus is doing these miracles. John the Baptist right now is locked up. He is decreased. Little did John the Baptist know when he said, I must decrease and he must increase, how much he was going to be decreased. <laughs> okay? See, you never know to extent what you say and how God would use what you say. Not something, It wasn't against him, but he didn't know he was going to get beheaded. But he completed his mission. All right. So you got the situation. They've seen some astonishing things. And now they are, their eyes is on Jesus. The Pharisees are now looking at Jesus. All right. He he's he said something that 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 has has disrupted their religion. He said something that has disrupted the protocol. He is claiming by his statement that he's God. But let's see what happens next. Go ahead. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. He sees a tax collector named Levi. Now let's think about that. Who, in relationship to the Pharisees, who are the tax collectors? Who collects money? Okay, in relation to the Pharisees, what kind of person is a tax collector? They don't hang out with them. They're sinners. They're 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 the rejected. They're the despised because Jewish tax collectors worked for who? For the Romans. And what they did was take what they were supposed to give Rome and take a little bit for themselves. And they hung out with the prostitutes of the day, the worldly people of the day. The non-Jewish people of the day, the Gentiles of the day, they hung out with all the worst. They were the gangsters of the day, but they were Jews, but they were rejected by the Jews. And here comes Jesus. Imagine the, the Pharisees and the crowd following Jesus. And he walks up to this man who's a tax collector. And before they can pay their taxes, Jesus says, follow me. And he leaves everything and begins to follow Jesus. The religion, not only did you disrupt my mind and shake me at the temple, at the synagogue, now you're going to pick a, a tax collector to be your disciple? Because you have to remember, in Judaism, 
You couldn't come to me and tell me that you could come ask me to be my disciple, but I had the choice to accept you or not. I had a choice to accept you or not. And look at Jesus starting off with a public declaration of accepting a disciple who's a tax collector. Now you have to remember, he's already got uh, John and James and his brother. They probably was dismayed too. Like, what are you doing? Why are you going against the protocol and picking a sinner to be a disciple? See, they're learning too. So he's upset them. He's upset the Pharisees. Everybody's wondering, what is he doing? He has to be crazy. Doesn't he know that this man is a sinner and hangs around the lowest, the lowest society today? Yeah, he knows. So let's continue. Go ahead. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So think about it. They're having a whole party. Because Levi's sins have been forgiven. He has attached himself to Jesus. And Levi say, we're going to celebrate my new life. Amen. And I know the Pharisees not going to come. So I'm going to invite all of my friends to come and sit with the person who has just accepted me. Amen. Who has just received me. Who has just decided to teach me. When everybody else wanted to throw me away. Where the religious establishment of the day would say, Levi, you can't even, you, you're not even worth talking to. You are like a dog to us. He's doing a new thing. Okay, he's doing a new thing. And depending on where your mind is, you may think on one end, he's messing up royally. And the, on the other end, you may think he's following what God do. I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. I will decide who, how I dispense my favor to, my grace to, my mercy to, my compassion to, to complete my will, not others' wills. Okay? Go ahead. Oh, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Stop. So in other words, they didn't approach Jesus. They approached his disciples. Right. Why do you, knowing the law, sit with sinners and eat with them? Break bread with them. You know the rules. You know the regulations. You know the protocol. Why do you do that? And we're going to see how Jesus responds and protects his disciples because he's not going to really let them respond to it. He's going to respond. Go ahead. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So he he's very sarcastic. Can you imagine Jesus sitting around all these pimps, prostitutes, and tax collectors? And they didn't heard, he didn't heard the Pharisees say something to his disciples who don't know what to say behind that because they know the rules, they know the regulations again, and they know the protocol. And he says, look, 
Sick people don't need. I mean, I mean, well, people don't need a doctor, but the sick people do. But the problem is the people that he, they think are sick are not are sick in a way, but at least they will accept what the doctor says. They won't. They must be worse off as Pharisees because they don't believe they're sick. And they're the sickest of all. Yes, these pimps, prostitutes, and all these people, they're sick, but at least they know they're the physicians in the house. And you know something? They've accepted the physician. That's the most important. They accepted the physician that has come to them. Mm -hmm. And this physician doesn't come to them with religion. He comes to them with love. Amen. He doesn't come to them with righteousness of self. He comes with righteousness of God. Mm -hmm. The Pharisees cared about the position and not about the person. The Pharisees had no compassion, but they had plenty of legalization. And the same can happen inside the body of Christ. If we're not careful with these stories, we're supposed to learn we are for everybody. We don't put caveats to people because we all got one caveat that we all in. We all sinners. Now, your sin may not be my sin. My sin may not be your sin, but it's all sin that keeps us from having the proper relationship with God. He died so we can have this proper relationship. So he said sarcastic to them, man, look, I know you don't understand that you need a, a savior or a physician because you believe you've already healed. And that probably irked them because they knew he was being sarcastic. You know, you can kind of tell when somebody being sarcastic. And it probably, it probably, it probably made them mad because they were supposed to say, you're right. We need to rebuke Jesus and get away from him. But Jesus interrupted them. All right, go ahead. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So he said, I didn't come to call the righteous and, and those who believe they well. And really that's the self-righteous. I didn't call to call the self, but sinners to repentance, but they don't believe that they sinners. <clears throat> they don't believe that. Well, isn't that a problem with a number of people today admitting that they're a sinner and they need a savior? Yeah, yeah. And 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 the sad part about it is that's when I was alluding to other the other the uh, when we were talking about how churches are formed now in America, you have all the trappings of the world and you never get to about dealing with sin. They come in thinking they're safe and they save because they participate in this high-profile church that says all this good stuff. Got all this flashy stuff, helicopters and everything. But you're going to be in the way your helicopter to hell because the gospel's not being preached there. What's being preached is, is secularism. What's being preached is, is motivation. What's being preached, what you're getting is a show every Sunday and believing that is of God. But where is the, the sin talk? Where is the deliverance talk? Where is the gospel talk? Where, where, because no, <coughs> we don't need that because we're past that. You see, I'm, I'm past needing to talk about sin because look, look how beautiful everybody is up in here. Look at the cars that's parked outside. Look at the, the facility we got. We know we not sinners because look how God has blessed us. But they forget the God of this world blesses you too. That's right. They forget that. And they forget that material things does not determine being saved. I mean, he said, what is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? I mean, I mean, the, the issue, the man with the bigger barns, 
He he understood God has always tried to explain to us your relationship with me is so personal. Don't base it upon any creature comfort that you have or don't have. But that's what we sell because that gets people in the seats. Can you imagine being at one of these churches and nobody saved, not even a pastor, but he had a big congregation leading everybody to the broad way to hell. Because he's scared if he talks about sin and the sin within the congregation. See, the issue with church is we don't govern ourselves. We try to insulate ourselves from being examined when the Bible tells us to examine ourselves to make sure that we're in the faith. We need to do that as individuals and we need to do that as a church. Is our mission still saving souls or is our mission to put butts in the seats and make a and have a bigger building and have more people in here? Well, the mission for walking truth is to save souls. Now, I, I, I care about having saints that support the mission, but I don't necessarily want to get large just for large sake. I don't want to always go to conferences and, and situations. And I told you what the, the, the normal talk is at, when you run into these pastors. How many people are you running, Doc? Like y'all cattle. That's their perception. That's their perception of success in God. Mm -hmm. But God doesn't need our success. No, he needs our faithfulness. Yes. He required us to be faithful. He didn't require us to be successful. He, what he says is success is totally different from the world. Right. But again, that won't preach. Because that won't make you run around the church. <laughs> What'll make you run around the church is, is telling you that you got to go have a, somebody going to deliver you a car next week in your driveway. And I can see it. Okay. So we have to understand. Jesus is confronting them. Right at their heart. You don't believe you need a savior. Because you believe. Because your religion. You're well. You believe because you belong to this church. You're well. You believe you follow this and this pastor. You're well. You believe because you've been in the church. For all this time. That you are okay. There's people who are following in churches due to loyalty that doesn't make any sense at all. Because they do, they get comfortable there and they know they're not growing. They know they're not being fed, but they will continue to sit there because they don't need a savior. Can't you see I'm already saved and I'm doing well. And all they do is repeat Christian mantras, but their life doesn't match what they say. So is it easier for them to say greater is in he that he that's in the world and to live it? Of course it is. Of course it is. It's easy to say, but where's the fruit from it? Where's the fruit from a victorious life? Okay, read. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often. So, so hold on. Now we get ready to go to the next challenge. Go ahead. The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Okay, now, now we're going to talk about fasting. You was mad at who I'm eating with. <laughs> you was mad because I'm at a bank. You mad at my, you, you're approaching my disciples about being eaten amongst these sinners. Now you saying the fact that I'm eating. I should be fasting. 
Now, a little known secret. <laughs> I'm going to ask you this, I, and, and I don't expect nobody to get it right, but if you do, fine. It's a two-part question. How many fasts did God order in the Old Testament, and what celebration was the fast ordered for? Three. Three? Okay. It, it, do you know the three? If you don't, that's fine, because I don't want to waste no time with that. Anybody else? Get any other numbers? Y'all think she's right? Anybody? Y'all ain't going to vote for Frida? You going to go with Frida? Anybody else? She studies well. She studies well. Okay. Anybody else? The way, to, the way to be cautious. Okay, that's good. Since Joyce ain't saying nothing but ha, ha. You said in the Old Testament. Yeah, but God ordered them in the Israelites in the Old Testament. We're still dealing with the Israelites, y'all. We're not even dealing with the Gentiles at this point. You have to remember, when you're reading the Gospels, you, you're dealing with Israel. He came into his own. We're dealing with how he was dealing with Israel to show them that they, he, their king had arrived. I think there were more than three. You think there were more than three? Okay. I do too. You do too? Hold on now. Carolyn, you didn't jump ship? You going with Frida or are you saying more than? No, that was me. Oh, you said that? I'm sorry. I think there were more than three. All of y'all wrong. There was only one. Oh, one. At Yom Kippur. So the day of atonement. Oh, okay. Man start making up all these other fasts that you see. God don't require one fast, the day of atonement. Yon can kip her. Now. 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 So now you got the Pharisees saying, we fast all the time. Okay, how can you fast all the time? Okay, hold on, hold on. We fast all the time. Okay. The Pharisees, and I can show you in another version, another uh, I think it's in Mark. Where the Pharisees actually say, we fast twice a week. Okay? We fast twice a week. What we believe it is, it was on Mondays and Thursdays that they would fast. And what they would do is pray. Remember, as we read, they used to go into the, the marketplace at a certain time of the day. And they would stand there with all their regalia on. All their, all their disciples, and they would stand in a way to be noticed, and they would start praying out loud to be seen, Display. displaying their holiness <laughs> to the Jewish nation and to the world. So every day, here they come at one o'clock, get on the corner of, of, of Del Mar and Skinker, and, and they will start praying, and everybody knew that the Pharisees fasted. Monday and Thursday. But see, these are just religious outpouring. Well, let me put This is just a physical thing to prove to people that you're holy. But there's nothing physical that you do to prove that you're right with God. There's nothing. There's no. And see, when we read in Romans, we read in Romans, there are problems. There is none. No, there's none righteous. No, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. In this flesh dwells nothing that's good. There's nothing, there's no ritual that we could do that will reach the holiness of God. He would have to look at it and favor it by grace. On our best day, our works are like what? They didn't know that. So why don't you know what? Our we fast the disciples of the Pharisees and John. They threw John in there. Now you might just say, well, John is a good guy. <laughs> Why they throw John in there? This is because. Remember and when they all came 
and got baptized for their missionary sins. Yes. Mm -hmm. The natural thing people do when they get baptized, even in the church, they start looking for the religious righteous to, to, to hang out with. So what happens is when John's disciples got baptized, they come up out the water, their sins have been forgiven. John gets arrested. He doesn't get to really teach them. What they do is gravitate towards the Pharisees because they're still looking at the Pharisees as what? The righteous guys, the right place to be. So, so we're going to gravitate and do what they do. <clears throat> and you know, that's funny because it happens in our churches. When a person comes and joins your body, they kind of pick out a person and they start trying to emulate them. And some people want that attention so they kind of become their disciple. They become their disciple. And then they only want to listen to what they say. Pastor could be up here preaching, but they looking at that person like, okay. I need to stand like you. I need to talk like you. And, and, and if a pastor's not careful, those little, they call them cliques, will set up in a church. And then what happens is that person who came in fresh, then got saved, is now delivered back into a system that the God has not ordained. So John the Baptist's disciples that, that received forgiveness of sins started following the wrong example. Not knowing, okay? God is going to forget again. This is not a hell thing. This is what people do. You look for a person to be your example versus God and Jesus Christ to be your example. And only time you pose to follow me is like when Paul said, as, as I follow Christ. How do you know how I'm following Christ? You got to know your word. It can't be a ooey gooey feeling. <laughs> It has to be by the word of God. That's the only thing you can judge it by that you can sit down and say, Yeah, the word. <laughs> this person's doing this. This, this person's worth look, listening to. They're not leading you into mysticism. All right? Go ahead. So we got the second confrontation. We get three of them in this chapter. Go ahead. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Think about the claim he's making. He's claiming. He, he's using a natural thing to describe something that they should know that's spiritual. He did it with Nicodemus, and he's doing it with them. Now, he's talking to the Pharisees. Go ahead. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So he's pre-telling, prophesying what's going to happen to him. He's going to be taken away. And he said at that point of him being taken away, then they can fast. Then they need to fast. Okay? It has been removed and now you need to fast. Because what you love is gone now and you're waiting for his return. So now you need to fast. So that presumes that they're going to do some kind of fasting once he leaves. But he's saying right now that I'm here, they don't need to fast. The king is here. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. One's going to come along whose shoes I cannot tie. One's going to come along who's the light of the world. But again, are you so religious that you can't see light? Are you so blinded by your religious darkness that you can't see light? True light. 
But is it in more relationships than religion? Yeah, and I, and again, that's the, that's one of them cliches we keep saying relationship religion. This is this is the this is what I would say. Your relationship to God is not like your relationship to me and you, because we're equal. Right. Our relationship with God is vertical. Mm -hmm. Up and down. Up and down. Mm -hmm. Okay. Don't diminish God and make Him your coffee buddy. Hallelujah. Jesus didn't die. And sit at the right hand and sign of God for you to diminish who he is. Yeah. He's the savior of the world. Creator of all things. He does not seek your counsel, your advice, and your ideas. You seek his all the time. So our relationship, when we think about relationships in the Western world, and, and, and I'm just saying, when we say that, we kind of mean a symbiotic me and, me and you got a relationship. Me and you got a relationship. But our relationship with God is he's God and we're not. Amen. <laughs> and we got to always keep him on the throne and quit trying to bring him down. He already came down and experienced who we are so he could be the perfect priest and intercede for us now in what he's doing. He's not doing what he did then because he sent back the Holy Spirit to lead us into the truth of what he did when he was here. The Holy Spirit is leading us through this truth that he was upsetting the religious establishment by being a God of compassion to all people who would believe. John tells us what? They are condemned already because they do not believe. Who was condemned already? The Pharisees. And anybody who didn't believe. You stay condemned not by what you do, by what you believe. All right, go ahead. <clears throat> he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and, and it will be spilled, mm -hmm. and the skins will be destroyed. Mm -hmm. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. So he says, the old is good. Now, what's so interesting about that? You have new patch, old garment. You have new wine, old wine skins. With the patch, you take the patch, you sew it to the old garment, and it begins to fray because the patch doesn't match the old garment, right? You take the new wine and it begins to ferment. Well, you take the new wine and places in the old wine skins and it begins to ferment and expands it and it bursts. That's right. What is he talking about? Mm -hmm. What do y'all think he's talking about? He's talking about spiritual being born again. No. Is it? Nope. Because he ain't said nothing about being born again yet. Are you talk, is he talking about what's in a person, an individual? Is this a this is a parable? Mm -hmm. But what has he been talking about up to this point? What has he been doing up to this point? See, you got to remember in context, we haven't got to the new birth. We ain't got none of that stuff. So what is what is he what is he doing, and who is he doing it to, and which one is represented? Believe the belief with the Pharisees. He's trying to teach them a lesson about 
about belief. Okay, okay. It, it, I told y'all, some y'all get too deep, and it's really that okay. it's right in front of your eyes. Okay. He's been dealing with the Pharisees, right? Mm -hmm. The Pharisees have been complaining about what he's doing, right? right. So, and what he's doing versus what? What they believe used to be done, right? Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. So the old, the old garment has to be the old Jewish religious establishment. Right? Okay. He saw he's new. Mm -hmm. He comes in to be new. But the but the, the patch that's new, the old can't hold it or contain it or control it and it breaks away. Okay. New wine. He's the new. Yes, he is. He's trying to pour into the old Jew mentality. And because he pours into the old Jew mentality of protectionism, isolationism, preference, piety, religiosity, and us folk no more shut the door, that new thing that he's doing, sitting with sinners, healing the healing people who can't see, uh, uh, forgiving sins, that new, that old garment, that old garment and that old uh, bottle or old wineskin can't handle it. They can't emotionally handle it. They can't spiritually handle it. They cannot handle it because it doesn't fit their protocol. They're still balling down. He's doing a new thing. He's still doing a new thing. And he's telling him in a parable, mm -hmm. I get why you can't receive me because you're of the old. I am of the new and I need to pour into what's new. The new is them, them sinners, them prostitutes, them pimps, them drug dealers sitting there, and I'm willing to pour into them because they're new. They're willing to receive it. You who's stuffy, stale, and stagnant inside your church, you can't receive it because you're worried about protocol. White gloves, gold pans, and 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 and, and bishop collars and, and robes and all that. God is doing a new thing now. He's trying to reach the lost. But the but the the sad part about it being lost, and what I was saying, you asked me why am I so sad about the other guy? Because he's lost right inside the church house. Inside the church house. That's that is, and just like they were lost inside the synagogue, lost inside the temple, you could be lost inside the church house because you can be in the house and not in the body. And there is a difference. And there's a difference. <clears throat> I am not impressed. By you telling me how much stuff y'all done did other than soul saving. As the young people say, you can miss me with that. <laughs> I, 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 I don't really care. I don't really care that you got an icy machine inside your church. A big gulp machine. What? Who cares? I go 7-Eleven, get that. Yeah, because they think that's impressing somebody. And all they're doing is, and what you know what they're doing? They're not building monuments to serve God. They build your monuments to themselves. They want to build bigger barns. And then God said, you fool, your soul is required of you today. I want to go to the flashy church. I want to go to the church that's on TV. I want to get a church where the first lady and the pastor, they look perfect. You know, 
You got pastors, pastors getting in certain circles and leaving their wife that has labored with them because that wife don't look like the rest of them trophy wives. So he leaves the wife that has labored with him to find him a trophy wife so he can look like everybody else. When are we going to get back to the gospel and do what God has called us to do and make us fishers of men? We read that. He told the disciples, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Yeah. God did not call us to take over the world. He called us to save souls. He didn't call us to build a kingdom. That's another thing y'all say that ain't right. Mm. There's nowhere in here he told y'all to build a kingdom. Yeah. Find it. it isn't there. That's a cliche that you have made up that sounds good because you know why? Building the kingdom keeps you from acting like you saved. So you say, God gave me a mission to build a kingdom. No, he didn't. He gave you a mission to make disciples of all men. If they become a disciple, they're already in the kingdom. Romans 5 tells us we have access. So if I got access, that means if I'm part of the body of Christ, I'm already in the kingdom. You don't need to build a kingdom because when the king comes, he's going to take care of that. You need to get people to the body so they can already be in the kingdom. But see, coming to the body of Christ, we back to what we in the beginning. You got to admit you need a physician. You got to admit you need a savior. You got to admit you a sinner. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. They us. I'm safe. I'm in a big church. God, look at be happy. I do go to church religiously. I do tithe often. And I participate at the latte machine every other Sunday and I participate in the children's ministry every other Sunday and 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 I show up when they have the bouncy houses and the food trucks outside. I show up for all of that and that's ministry. No, that's not. Not a soul gonna be saved because they ate a hot dog at the at from the food truck. And what we have to understand, we have to always remember to stay on mission. And I'm going to say one more thing, but I want, I want you to catch something in what she said when she read that parable. Church gathering is for the saved folk. But it's good to the unsaved. This is what I mean. You come here to get taught like a, like a synagogue. You come here to learn and get encouraged and built up so when you go out there, you can really be an ambassador of God. And your goal is not necessarily to get them to come physically here. Our goal is to get people saved. And if by chance you are walking a walk that they, they, they see and the lessons that you see, they see, just they might just want to come where you getting fed. But how are they going to come where you getting fed when you're, you're what you show me and show us when you get out here is totally different. And if I think, if y'all think y'all got me food, I'm sorry you don't. I just don't say nothing because it's nothing to say. And the reason why it's nothing to say because I got because you got to remember who do y'all belong to. My job is just to feed you. It's his job to to make to make you eat. So with that, I'm relieved as long as I know I'm feeding you right. The day I stop feeding you right, then I got a, God got a problem with me. But when I relieve the pressure of performance. Versus just being faithful to the word as I can be. That's the most important thing in my position. But your position is, are you growing? Are you learning? 
And are you equipped to move forward out here and tell people about Jesus? I got a good praise report on somebody the other day. I ain't going to say who they were. And, I, and that, that made me happy. Because that what that means is my labor is not in vain. My labor is not in vain because you're out here encouraging, you're getting people, and people are speaking well of you and what you're telling them. And that's all that I, that's all I could ask for. That's, that's what I, I, I want to hear about that because that's a good thing. All right. Let's read the prayer one more time. We're going to finish. But I want you to see if y'all caught something. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. Mm -hmm. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. What, what you hear? What did you hear? What did you hear? They ain't gonna have a taste for the new wine. There you go. If he's doing a new thing, he's saying you're so religiously bent, you're so holy, you're so self-righteous that even when you taste the new wine, you know what you're gonna say? Our old ways are better. And it was good. And this is what I will tell you. Some of what we have in church of what old was, 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 was good. But if God is doing a new thing now, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Okay, he's doing a new thing now. And he's trying to tell them, get ready for the new thing. But he understands. This is what I love about Jesus. He understands that when you're in that way of the Pharisee and the unlearned religious, and the self-righteous that he already know you're going to say, let's just keep it the way it is. I don't want to change. And we got this far with that. So God, get us to the next level with what we're going to protect what we got. That's what happens in the church. And then you don't get, then they don't want nobody in there but them. People like them. People think like them. They say out of political religious correctness they want other people but really what they want is clones so what ends up happening in that church is they don't, when they don't get it then what they do is end up dying because what they've done is taking the new wine of the gospel of Jesus and trying to stuff it in an old stuffy not working no fruit bearing religion that don't work no more. It really didn't work then. But it's really not working now. But you know what they're going to say? God going to bring the people in. With their all their piety. They really believe that, y'all. They'll sit there with two people that are talking about God going to bring it in. But when the commission was, you go out. But you become so insulated, you will know what to say to a person when you got out other than Christian cliches. And a person look at you and they don't even know what you're talking about. You'll rattle them off. But there's no power because you're not walking in the resurrection. You're not walking in love. See, when your church doesn't walk in love, they're walking in the spirit of the Pharisee.
There's only two. Either walk in the love, the Paul say, without it, you, you with it, you have everything, and without it, you have nothing. You walk in the power of the resurrection, or you walk in the death of the flesh. You only got two choices. But you have to learn how to walk in this. This is not natural for you to walk in this way. It is supernatural to where you're yielding to the Holy Spirit and what you're learning every day. That's why teaching is so important. And the preaching behind the teaching is so important. Because we need to get a full understanding. God, Jesus is telling them, I'm doing something new. And I know you don't like it. I know you don't want it. I know you don't understand it. But trust me, it's better for you. Jesus like cast the oil to a person who has constipation. Clean you out. But again, you'll say, no, I still like eating while I'm eating. Even this church, we're changing our diet. Some of us are changing our diet. The old way was good to us, wasn't it? Yeah. But it ain't no good for us now. Yeah. I can't eat 10 White Castle. I used to could. But now, if, if I eat one, I, I'm, I'm bloated. And all. I'm like, man, I can't do it. Gassed up. Because things change. And what we need to do, the character of God never changes, y'all. The character of God never changes. He is love. He is justice. He is mercy. He is grace. Those never change. But the way he dispenses it, he's calling for dispense it is, don't get caught up into the flesh, but get caught up into the fact that you're doing what I called you to do. Go out and make disciples of all nations. Tell people about the gospel of the grace that Paul gave us. Tell people about God already did it. He did everything. All you have to do is believe and follow him as you learn of him. And your leader, follow him as he follow, or she, follow him as he follow Christ. And stay within the boundaries of the scriptures. Quit trying to be extra. Quit trying to be mystical. There's no, there's no need for that now. All right? Let's pray. Oh, Grace Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the people. Continue to bless us as we go forth in faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, Thank you for tuning in to today's teaching. We hope you have been inspired and encouraged. Please look in the description box for our contact information. All are welcome and we look forward to connecting with you soon. Be encouraged, blessed and at peace and remember walk in truth.